0: Hey, everybody out there in Ramble on Radioland, and this is Ralph Hewlett, co author of the book with Jerry Proshnicki, Whole Lot of Lead, Our Flight with Led Zeppelin. lady who's sure, all that glitters is gold, and she's frying, a stairway to heaven. When she gets there, she knows, if the stores are all closed, with a word, she can get what she came for. And she's crying. a stairway to heaven. Appu, oh, it is a miracle! What now? Swapper Jack is reuniting Led Zeppelin in aisle six? <laughs> Led Zeppelin reuniting in aisle six at Swapper Jack. That's from uh, The Simpsons. I think it was last week, maybe it was two weeks ago. Pooh uh, was basically going out of business because Swapper Jack was putting him out of business. And everything they did turned to gold. And, um... Turned out Swamper Jack was going out of business, but Pooh uh, had a better line instead. Uh, Swamper Jack going out of business. what's What now? Swamper Jack is reuniting Led Zeppelin in aisle six. <laughs> I love that. Uh, that's brilliant. Top of the morning, Led Zeppelin fans. It's Brian Gardner and this is... Uh, I should do my Irish accent. That's Brian. Nah, never mind. Uh, this is Ramble on Radio, episode 14. The only dedicated Led Zeppelin podcast on this or any other known internet. Uh, be sure to go to rambleonradio.com for all your Led Zeppelin news and any links I mentioned during the show. Um, in honor of St. Patrick's Day, which was yesterday, um, um, but, you know, it, like birthdays nowadays and stuff, it's going to be a season, right? So we, we're going to run it over a week, uh, stay pretty pickled. Um, so I started with uh stairway to heaven from, from the town of my birth, Belfast, uh, Northern Ireland, uh, that was Ulster Hall, March 5th, 1971. Uh, the first public performance of Stairway to Heaven uh, ever. And that was 41 years ago last week. So in honor of St. Patrick's Day, um, we, we, we we rolled that out. Cold Guinness in hand. We uh, were ready to go here. And uh, on top of that, we had um, uh, mixed in with it, was uh, Siri sings Stairway to Heaven. A weird little YouTube thing that uh, somebody pointed out uh, it was the Siri is the iPhone voice recognition software. Uh, if you're not familiar, and that was so that was Siri doing "Stairway to Heaven," and I love the ooh 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 ooh. <laughs> good, good fun to start today. Good fun, and we're gonna get straight into it. Jimmy Page, the big news. Jimmy Page is releasing "Lucifer Rising" and other soundtracks. By the way, that's "Lucifer Rising," not "Lucifers Rising," which was pointed out to me because I had "Lucifers writing um, all over my webpage, all over um, on Uh So that's been corrected, and it's Lucifer Rising and other soundtracks. Uh, and here's what he has to say. On March 20th, the Spring Equinox 2012, the title music for Lucifer Rising and other soundtracks will have its premiere and release. The title music, along with other musical pieces recording at my home studio in the early 70s, has been revisited, remixed, and released for the first time. And to be sure, to be clear on this, that is Jimmy Page's home studio in the early '70s, not mine. Uh, yes, I play a little guitar. Yes, I, you know, I've done some recording at home. But in the early '70s, I was about nine, and um, you don't really want to hear that stuff anyway, right? So, uh, no, that's Jimmy Page stuff. He he recorded in his home studio. Uh, This is, back to Jimmy Page, this is a musical diary of avant-garde compositions and experiments, one of which was to appear on the film Lucifer Rising. The collection has been exhumed and is now ready for public release. This will be available exclusively on the website, jimmypage.com. There will be a standard release on heavyweight vinyl. In addition, there will be a special run of 418 numbered copies, uh, and the first 93 of those will be signed and numbered. Uh, there are liner liner notes and commentary to each track. Uh, track listing is as follows. Side 1, Lucifer Rising main track. Side 2, Incubus, Damask, Unharmonics, Damask Ambient, and Lucifer Rising percussive return. Um, and it should be note the typeface for the album cover, the, the, there is a picture of the album cover, it looks really kind of cool. And the typeface is the same typeface as that used on the front cover of the 2004 centennial edition of the Book of Law. Uh, now, there was a lot of discussion on this on for badge holders only, the, the email group, and uh, a lot of this information I kind of rolled out of that. Uh, most of it, I think it all just comes from Wikipedia, to be honest, but want to give credit where it's due. The guys at uh, FBO did the digging up on this, I just kind of copied and pasted, and I'm rolling it out. Um, and, and that's, you know, the bit about... Um, the typeface and what's to follow here, by the way. The earlier stuff is from Jimmy Page's uh, email. Uh, So, 418 deluxe copies, 93 signed. What does that, that, is that significant? Why 418? Why not 400? Why not 450? Why not 500? And why 93 signed? Why not 100? They're kind of specific numbers, right? Um, And Page is a number guy. He, He does that sort of stuff. So, from Wikipedia page about Alistair Crowley's The Book of Law. Um, and I've read this three or four times and it makes not a lot of sense to me. Uh, but Liber al Legis is the central sacred text of Thelma written by Alistair Crowley in Cairo, Egypt in the year 1904. Its full title is Liber al Sub Subfegheda CCXX as delivered by XCII. Uh, which is 418, to DCLXVI, um, and it is commonly referred to as the Book of Law. And I I don't know my numbers well enough. Excuse me, late at night here. Don't know my numbers, my uh, Roman Roman numerals well enough to tell you what DCLXVI is, but um, I guess it's from the year 418 to whatever. Um, XX is 220, XC, oh, sorry, 93. XCIII is 93, and DC DCLXVI is 666. Uh, this is a way of saying the book was delivered by I Weiss, whose number is both 93 and 418, to Crowley, who identified the B666. 220 refers to the book itself and has 20 220 verses. So 93 and 418 is I, um. The Weiss is the name of the entity that Crowley claimed was the messenger. So the messenger, the numbers that represent the messenger are 93 and 418. And therefore, 418 deluxe editions. You know, one of the things I've wondered about Jimmy Page is as he got older, as he, you know, was this a youthful uh, interest in the occult? Or is it something he's kind of stuck with as he's gotten older? Um, apparently he's stuck with it. It's, let's let's go with it. he's still reading the alice of crowley still doing this stuff so uh, 418 deluxe if you want to get a deluxe edition by the way this, these are released on tuesday you go to his website um, and it doesn't say there's a specific number of standards so i don't know what he's done on that um, but if you want to get a deluxe you have to get your name into the webpage before. And uh, as I'm recording this late Sunday night, early Monday morning, and I think by Monday 6 o'clock or something you have to have your name in, probably it's too late to be telling you to get your name in for a deluxe edition. But that's what you would have had to have done. Uh, I've put my name in for a deluxe. I'm not sure why. What the heck's the difference? I just want to make sure I get a copy. And I will review uh, when I do get a copy. I'm sure I will. Um... So that's um, uh, Lucifer Rising and other soundtracks um, from the early 70s, from the um, the movie Lucifer Rising that Kenneth Anger was doing. And uh, he ended up getting, he, him and Jimmy Page kind of fell out over it, and there was some disgruntlement. And uh, he ended up getting Bobby Bouzalet, who, um, if you've read Helter Skelter, would be familiar. He was one of the Manson family guys, and was one of the guys who wound up with a, you know, a life term for uh, for the murder of Sharon Tate. And... Um, uh, it was the other guy they, they murdered. Uh, I forget his name. Uh, but Bobby Beausoleil was involved in that. And actually recorded, if I recall it right, recorded... Uh, his part in this movie uh, in prison. So... Uh, just a, That's just a side note, really. So we're finally, kind of finally going to hear the Jimmy Page. Although it's been out in bootleg for a good long time. Um, and The question is, I, I suppose the question for a lot of people is, what? so what of this is new and what is not new? And uh, uh, There's been some suggestion over the years that the stuff that's out of bootleg is Jimmy Page's is not actually Jimmy Page. Um, so we'll kind of hear what he did, what it's not done. Uh, Robert Plant, we talked last time about the sensational space shifters. Um, and here's something... You only heard one place, there's only one website you read this, um, and you only heard it in one place. Part of his band would be Judith Kamara, a virtuoso African musician. Uh, I read it on a website, and then the website, decided. I couldn't find it again to save my life. I went through my history, where the hell did I see that? I could not find the name again, but I knew I saw it. Uh, and I knew, I knew I had this because I Googled it. I'd never heard of the guy before. And I'm sitting there with the Google page open. I knew I read that this was there. So I, I ran it. What the heck? I'm going to go with this. And uh, if I'm wrong, it's, it's not like I just reported that, uh, you know, uh, Gordon Lightfoot has died, which if, if you're Canadian, you know, ran across the news about uh, six months ago or a year ago up here. Uh, so I, I'm not reporting anything serious. I just, uh, I Think Judith Camara is going to be in the band uh, It turns out I was spot on um, and So if you run the website where I read that Thanks But really you heard it If you knew that You probably heard it here uh, So West African virtuoso musician Judith Camara will be part of The uh, Sensational Space, space Shifters uh, On top of it We talked about Justin Adams last time The guitar player um, And of course Patty Griffith is in the band on top of that, uh, keyboardist John Baggett and guitarist Billy Fuller, both who were with Plant and Strange Sensation, and drummer Dave Smith is in the bit. Now, there is, uh, I think originally they said it was eight or nine piece. That's six. So there might be a couple other pieces in there, maybe another guitar player. Uh, although I think from checking YouTube, I think I recall Judith Camara plays guitar. And you have Justin Adams. Um, I think Billy Fuller is a guitar player, but I think I read that he was going to play bass. I think I read he's going to play bass. Uh, I could be off on that. Or or we need a bass player. How's that? One of the two. So it, that may not be the complete band, but as it stands now, this is the band. Robert Plant, Space Shifters, Justin Adams, Judith Camaro, Patty Griffith, John Baggett, Billy Fuller, and Dave Smith as the drummer. Uh, and Dave Smith did not play and say he's kind of the only non strange cessation, well, other than Judith Camaro and Patti Griffin. And uh, if you go to rambleonradio.com and go down, I did post um, a video at the time of uh, Robert Plant, Justin Adams, and Judith Camaro uh, doing, oh, what's the name of the song? It's an old uh, Muddy Waters, an old blues song. And it was really hot, really good. Uh, so this this has potential. Uh, We'll see what it does. Although there are some Robert Plant fans don't like Justin Adams. Um, And I don't have an opinion either way, to be honest on that. I don't know enough of this kind of era Robert Plants to say, I really like this guy, I really don't like that guy. Uh, John Paul Jones has been out and about. Did you get the London Bay show? Uh, If you did, hey, email me. I'd love to hear from you. Some fans did, and I have seen two or three pictures on the internet with people having had their picture taken with John Paul Jones at the London Bass Show. So it, uh, that was, back the last time I recorded, it was that weekend, last Sunday in February, I think. Uh, the weekend after that, John Paul Jones performed with John Cage's music Circus, um, which is an avant-garde kind of really, um, you know, the musicians in different rooms playing different things, and it's meant to be... Um, um uh anarchistic uh, m- musically anarchistic I guess is is, is what they're after uh, um, no real recognizable no community to it no um no order no governing order to the uh to the music so he has people in different rooms playing completely different things and and you walk around and listen to this and and John Paul Jones um, so he, he got involved in this um He performed in London, Uh, and here's from The Guardian. Um, uh, In 1NX sits Led Zeppelin's John Paul Jones, virtually unrecognized, playing a curious three-necked mandolin. Now, it's his three-necked guitar, not a mandolin. Mandolin, 12-string, 6-string. It's the same one he played with with Led Zeppelin. Uh, By the way, you can't be unrecognized playing a three-necked guitar. Acoustic guitar. There's. I've only ever seen one guy do it. If I walked in the restaurant and there was a guy playing that, I would do a double take, and the double take would make me go, "Oh, that's John Paul Jones." Um, so you know, I don't know what this guy's really thinking. Maybe I don't know. Maybe people who listen to this kind of music are too cool to notice John Paul Jones or something. But he's uh... there's a video on YouTube. I will post it on uh, rambleonradio.com Uh, it's, yeah, it's avant-garde, he's really kind of playing almost a drone-like thing, um, and it's not much of anything, and it's, it just is, and he fools around with a couple of pedals while he's doing it, and, uh, Note has a, has a computer in front of him as well, or off to the side, and it's, uh, looks like it's a Mac, so, uh, maybe John Paul Jones is a Mac guy, but it looks good. Uh, Jason Bottoms Led Zeppelin experience. This is weird. Uh, they've announced they're going to play the Greek in L.A. October 11th, 2012. Um, that's the only. It's it's out there. It's a gig. It's announced. It's not even on his web page. Um, but it, if you dig around, you can find it. And uh, I think it was uh, James Dillon was where I found it. Uh, on top of that, they're playing. A, we talked about this before. Island Resort and Casino in Michigan on April 27th, which is only a month away—well, um, a month and ten days, sort of thing. Um, but that's the—you know—that's the only gig. Is this uh, Island Resort and Casino? And now for October, it appears to be the only gig going is uh, the Greek Theater. so I don't know what what he's up to there. Whether these are gigs. That, Gonna pay that much better that he's he's willing to get the band out for. I was really expecting more spring stuff because of the, and maybe there'll be a full fall tour. He's done that a couple of times the fall tours, maybe that's on. Uh, but it's a bit strange that he's that he's just doing one offs now. It seems. Um, we'll have to see how that goes. Uh, I wonder who'll be on bass. Um, Michael Devin's off the road with uh, White Snake right now. Uh, so I wonder if they'll bring him out for uh, for the island consort, or Zeno or they'll stick with um, uh, his replacement. I can't I can't recall the name of his replacement right now. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know, I, I wonder which guy will be. Which was was uh, uh, Dorian Hartsong is his name. Dor- was Dorian a replacement or was he? was he a fill-in. Um, that's we'll we'll find out. Uh, on February 29th, uh, Ahmed Erdogan's widow, uh, Mika, endowed 26 million pounds, about 41 million U.S. dollars, to establish the Mika and Ahmed Erdogan Oxford University Scholarships in the Humanities Foundation. Uh, I don't think that's what it's called, but it's a foundation at Oxford University. It's a university for scholarships in the humanities. Um uh, and see, thirty-five full-support humanities scholarships will be granted every year to new postgraduate entrants in the university. All those accepted to enroll in a master's or PhD f- or master's or doctor philosophy PhD program in humanities subjects will be asked uh, if they came from the. Uh, will be asked something. I I don't have that all written down now. It looks like um, uh, anyway. Um, it is the biggest ever gift received by uh, by the humanities division in uh, Oxford University's nine hundred year history, and of significance here, a good chunk of the money came from the Led Zeppelin reunion concert in two thousand seven. That, um, if you as you remember, it wasn't a Led Zeppelin reunion concert so much as it was a concert for the benefit of the Ahmed Erdogan Foundation and. Um, Anybody who went there and got a t-shirt, it says the Almond Erdogan Foundation Concert or something like that on it. It, it doesn't say it Led Zeppelin on the t-shirt. It, it says this um, yeah, this foundation. So that's, you know, if you went, if you spent the money, there's where your money went. Um, John Paul Jones, by the way, was at the press conference. So there's John Paul Jones showing up again. He was at the press conference with, uh, press conference with Mika Erdogan. Uh, and that's that's the news, and um, like, I I I the last I guess two weeks uh, I've been reading Glenn Hughes' autobiography, and uh Hughes is relevant here. Well, I've kind of I go over this stuff once in a while, I know, but he's relevant here for a couple of reasons, not the least of which is he plays with Jason Bonham in Black Country Communion. Um, he also did play. um Periodically, with his father, his father would turn up on stage with uh, um, with trapeze, um, which was Hughes' first band. And uh, I'm going to dig up my notes here. So, um, but uh, so it's a good, uh, say it's a, it's a good book. First off, it's uh, uh, Hughes had serious serious drug problems: uh, cocaine, crack. Uh, he, he went from snorting cocaine to crack sometime in the 80s uh, and he's really only come out of it the last five to seven years um, uh, how he's not dead reading the book is that is, um, was well, a good question really It's and uh, how he's not broke is another good question although he may well be broke or close to it forgive me on that uh, um, but he uh, um, it, it, the book first off you know I've, I've talked about this before I think when um, I, I, don't, I don't like biographies that roll through childhood and spend forever and ever all man on uh, in the childhood as if as if there's importance there I you know I, I really don't care about um, I had 10 pounds, you know, Keith Richards, if, you, if you've tried to read Life, uh, and I know a lot of people like it, so I shouldn't say it, but I couldn't get through it. And and it was these kind of stories that, uh, you know, I had 10 pounds or 30 shillings more like, and I, I went to the fish and chips shop on the other side of the river, and you, I don't care. I just, you know, you're just a 10-year-old boy. Nothing significant's happened, okay? Um, so Glenn Hughes goes through his childhood fairly quick. This is my parents. This is when I first played music. This is when I second played music. And then, you know, three or four friends he made who are relevant to the story later on. And then he's fairly quickly into his teenage years where he's playing in bands, and this is the band he's playing and he's playing with this guy. And then then this guy joins, and that guy goes, and da-da-da-da. And and by the time he's kind of out of high school, he's in a band called Trapeze, which is the one that gets him a recording contract. And then he goes through Trapeze's career, and you're kind of about 80, 90 pages into this puppy. And um, not even. You know, it, yeah, actually, I'm looking at uh, page 23. And Trapeze is playing the USA. They're touring in the USA. 23 of 258. So, yeah. Um, like, really quickly gets through that stuff. So, God bless him for that. I want to get to the meat of the story. And the meat of the story is his musical career and and his kind of personal downfall. Uh, and he gets, he spends a lot of time, uh, let's be clear on this, he spends a lot of time talking about that. Even before he's got a drug problem, he talks about his drug problem. He, he talks about, oh, I wasn't really into cocaine at that time. That would come later. Or he started doing cocaine, but it wasn't a big deal at the time. That would come later. So he kind of, um, and it's really a cathartic book. For, it's obvi- really obviously a cathartic piece of work for him. Uh, and he makes reference to the point that uh, th- the, um, that he needed to be 100% honest. He needed to get some, some stuff he hadn't told anybody. A couple of times he fell off the wagon in the early part of the 2000s, that sort of thing. And he, he felt the real need to, you know, I I have to, I can't hide anything. It's all going to be out there. Otherwise, it just leads to this, this problem, this down-the-road problems. Um, secrets are a disaster for him so he talks about everything <laughs> And uh, uh, good for him I guess and it makes for an interesting read it's uh, different than a lot of biographies because of that because he really screws up um, uh, really really and he really takes responsibility for his own actions he really takes responsibility where he doesn't necessarily even need to uh, I'll give you a great example he was touring with Black Sabbath he was singing for Black Sabbath uh, didn't last long Uh, He was fairly deep into his drug problem by then. Uh, And um, uh, Tony Iommi is an old friend of his and and talks much in this book. Uh, And I'm going to pull up a quote that he used uh, at one point here. But Tony Iommi himself says, we made a big mistake. We put him as our front man. He's never sang without a bass before. Now he's got this drug problem. We knew there was the drugs. We didn't know how bad it was. But then we stuck him out there without a bass, without his... You know, he's just the guy holding a microphone, and it was it was a place where he wasn't comfortable and a place he'd never been before, and so uh, trouble ensued on that front. But one of the things that happened was he got into, he was in the elevator in the bar or in the hotel, and uh, some sort of, disc, uh, one of the guys in the crew, I think he was there as security, actually, ended up punching him, and he uh, broke his septum, and the, the his, so his sinuses started bleeding into his throat, and he didn't know. Um, He just, well, okay, I got punched in the nose, that's the way it goes, he had a black eye. Um, A week later, he couldn't sing. And, uh, um, like, literally couldn't sing, almost, you know, croaking instead of singing. And they had, they kicked him out, they thought it was the drugs, and they kicked him out of the band. Uh, They went to the hospital, and they found out that this bleeding had been going into his throat, and his throat was closing up because of all the blood in his throat, in the back of his throat. So the reason he couldn't sing was because he'd been punched in the nose by it. And he kind of says, well, he says, the one thing about it is, you know, what's a crew member doing punching the lead singer? That should never happen, and he's right. But he later also says, you know... This doesn't happen, normal. I think the quote was, this doesn't happen to normal people. Normal people don't get punched in the face in a hotel elevator at four in the morning. You know, if I'm not on the drugs, none of that stuff happens. There's a direct connection between the drugs and me being punched in the face and losing the gig. Even if the drugs didn't actually cause it directly, indirectly, they did. So he takes a lot of responsibility for what what happened in his life. Uh, And... Uh, the quote I was going to, the t- uh, Tony Iommi quote I was going with, um, and I'll see if I can find it really fast, but I don't think so. Um, he, he he talks about uh, Tony Iommi says um, he sp- he has spent a lot of time rebuilding bridges since he's got clean, I think is the quote that. Well, oh, he burned a lot of bridges, and since he's got clean, he spent a lot of time rebuilding those bridges. And I think this book is um, a, a bit of a bridge rebuild in ways too. Um, anyway, so it, but it's re, so it's relevant, I think, like I said, because he plays with Jason Bonham. But it's also relevant because there's some there is some Led Zeppelin stories in here, and I wanted to run through um, a couple of them. Both of them uh, involved uh, John Bonham, um, and this this is from uh, Medusa playing. Uh, Um, playing in Birmingham, and uh, here he says, We were playing in a venue called Mothers in Birmingham. The show was going great. We were about halfway through the set, and I could see the unmistakable John Bonham walking briskly to the stage. Without missing a beat, he hoisted himself up onto the deck with the help of his assistant, Matthew. He walked up to Dave Holland mid-song, took the drum six, and proceeded to rock. Dave Holland was the drummer at Trapeze, by the way. Uh, We were playing the song, Medusa, and it was John's first encounter with the Trapeze Trio. The crazy thing is that John didn't want to stop playing the song, so we extended it and became a 15-minute bonzo version. Uh, Bonzo in quotes, I think. Um, I don't think. I'm looking at it. I was a huge bonzo fan. Being a bass player, I was very much influenced by whoever my rhythm section partner was, and now it was the man himself, John Henry Bonham. It was a massive moment for our band and myself. Afterwards, John took me to his home in West Hagley, he wanted to play me some new Zepp. What happened next was a life-changer. It was 3 a.m. He pulled out an acetate LP and dropped the needle onto track 1 of his stereo system and played me Led Zeppelin IV, a good four months before its global release. We must have heard the album five times by the time the sun came up when the levee breaks was tattooed onto my bra- into my brain. We both crashed and I was woken by Robert Plant a few hours later as I lay on the couch in John's music room. Zeppelin were off to Europe in the morning. Bonzo was up like a shot, and he and Robert got in the limo. John asked me uh, when the next UK Trapeze show was. I was rubbing my eyes and scratching my head at the Black Swan at Kent next Sunday. I eventually said, great, he said, I'll drive down there with Matthew. Uh, he was a man of his word. So I guess he made it to the other show. But kind of cool, four months before, uh, before its release, sitting listening to Led Zeppelin 4, and, and, you know, being one of the guys who got Led Zeppelin for it right away, because you know a lot of the critics didn't—that's for sure. Um, a little less of a pleasant one. <laughs> this is now he's with Pink Floyd. He went from Trapeze to Pink Floyd. oh sorry, Deep Purple. Bands with damn colors in their names uh, gets me confused every time. Um, so yeah, he was with Deep Purple, and uh, they were playing at Radio City Music Hall. Right towards the end of the show. Uh, maybe I'm missing something here. Uh, here we go. By the time we got to the Radio City gig, I've been up for three nights on blow. He, he's into the cocaine by now. I had at least half an ounce in 15 hours. I ran out. I remember going to sound check. And I couldn't get any blow because... Uh, blah, blah. Lo and behold, I got a call from John Bonham and he was coming down to the show. Um This is a real low point for me and this is the first time people will read about this. I was so angry because I couldn't get any coke that I actually played down the gig. I was on stage for two hours of the show but didn't partake in a lot of the singing. I stood at the back of the stage. It's the only time ever in purple I did that. It was awful and this was the night the TV cameras were there and the press people were there. Right towards the end of the show, Bonzo walked on stage and he had a gun on him. He walked up to me and pressed something metallic against my back and the band stopped playing. Then he commandeered the microphone to talk about Zeppelin's new film, the song remains the same. He said to me, you're coming with me after the show, Husey. I remember him coming off the stage and berating Tommy, and that's when I saw his fucking gun. Uh, excuse the language, by the way. Oh, adult warning. Well, I just lost my my um, family-friendly uh, rating. Uh, I never even got a chance to go and towel off in of the dressing room. We'd been planning to go to the Rainbow Bar and Grill and where they were having a party for us. So I got in the back of Bonzo's limo and he's got this gun and he's having a go at me saying, What do you think you're doing befriending my wife? Uh, but never actually accusing me of anything. I think he'd heard a rumor that I had a relationship with his wife, Pat, which was untrue. I never had a relationship with her. We were friends. He loved her and she loved him. Let's make that clear. I felt awful about it. I got out of the... I got it out of the way, though, and we went to the party afterwards, spent a lot of time in the bathroom doing coke. After that, he took me out in town all night around Manhattan to these private watering holes, etc., uh, etc. Et by the way, John Bonham comes back into the story one more time. at Led Zeppelin's Los Angeles premiere of the song made the same. In the autumn of 76, I was invited by Robert, Jimmy, and Bonzo. The night before, Bonzo calls me, having got my number from somebody, and asked me to meet him at the Rainbow. So I do, and I go up to John, and we go up to Beverly Hilton where Zeppelin are staying. I'm with Jimmy and Bonzo all night, out of our out of our minds. And the next night uh, at the premiere, we go to an after party and hang out with Ron Wood. And there is an after party. Uh, I'm going to keep reading here, Uh, but three more paragraphs, uh, so uh, bear with me. Uh, Shortly afterwards I'm living in the UK and I get an invite from Robert This time to the premiere in Birmingham So I go to the reception which was held at the opposite lock nightclub And I go to the bar and Bonzo sees me Suddenly I can see him crawling along the floor With people looking at him and parting ways to let him through I know exactly what's going to happen here Because I've seen John in all his glory before He comes up to me and says the last thing he ever said to me So fancy your chances do you? He punches me straight on the chin, chipping one of my teeth. He knocks me down, and the beer goes over both of us. I'm asked to leave the premises, and that's the last last time I saw John. I'm going, ah, Jesus. I love John. I thought we'd been through all this in L.A. I think the idea of me being in the same room with Pat triggered him to freak. Uh, And the last paragraph, I think, here. uh, You may not believe this, but it's true. In September 1980, I was having a nap in the middle of the day, and I remember Karen coming at me and saying, you'll never guess who's dead. And I said this out of my sleep. I know who's dead. It's John Bonham. He'd come to me and whispered in my ear that he'd gone to heaven and told God that he was leaving Led Zeppelin and that he was going to form a new band with Glenn Hughes. Then he said to me, she's a rich girl now. That's exactly the dream I had. Came to me while I was sleeping. Now, for the record, I believe him, because I've heard weird, weird, weird stories so many times like that. People have, yeah, people, you know, dream of a person who's who dies the same day uh, I've, you know, there's so many we all have, right, we, so many stories like that out there, The, the you gotta I don't know, I, I I let's just say I don't discount it completely at this stage of my life um, um, but uh, um, that said uh, it's a bit um it's, it's. I mean, it's more likely that the, he subconsciously heard the radio that he was dead, and then dreamt about him being dead, than uh, than Bonzo actually came and said these fairly oddball things to him. Don't uh, wouldn't you agree? <laughs> say, I mean, it's uh, what what is it she says? He he says to him, I told God I'm going to form a new band with Glenn Hughes. Um, that's that's you know an odd thing. If ever there was, and she's a rich girl now, so you know, the idea that John Bonham came to him in his sleep, I, um, yeah, I'm less inclined to believe, but the kind of coincidence of that happening, um, that sort of thing, I believe it. And and um, anyway, neither here nor there, not part of the story. So, anyway, Glenn Hughes, uh, the autobiography from Deep Purple to Black Country Community, good book, um. Uh, worth the read worth the read just for the just for the kind of story how how his life goes what goes wrong with it and, and you know and you get a real clear idea how screwed up a drug addict's life comes um and how you know these these guys die not just by the drugs but by other means too they they wind up in stupid situations they wind up doing stupid things that cause their death otherwise he winds up in a house fire and almost burns himself to death you know because because he's high and because he makes one stupid decision and then when it starts going bad he makes a second a third and a fourth stupid decision. You know he puts he puts uh, open open oil on the stove to make chips which is you're not supposed to do but you know if you're standing at the stove watching it it's okay but he doesn't he goes and sits in another room and then he falls asleep and then you know, he runs and picks up the damn pot when it's on fire. Um, so, you know, that this is what drug addicts do. They do stupid thing on they compound stupid things with stupid things with stupid things. So it gives you a real... Uh, I walked out with that real feeling of, you know, um, how insidious the, uh, these drug addictions are. And I think that's the message he wanted to get through. And it's interesting to read about his life, and, and it's forced me to go back and, and kind of listen to Trapeze, and, and I'm going to dig in a bit to some Deep Purple stuff. And... Uh, you know, go over his career a little bit. So, Glenn Hughes, the autobiography Deep world of the Black Country Union, recommended, uh, decent book, decent read, for sure. Uh, and, and that is, uh, fill up my thing, but that is it. Um, that's it for Ramble on Radio, episode 14. Check rambleonradio.com for notes on this week's podcast, Led Zeppelin news and reviews, and any mention, any links mentioned today. Um, And that's it. Thank you for listening to Ramble on Radio. I will be back in two weeks. And she's buying a stairway to heaven.